welcome to our third Connecting Conversations um, interview session. And we're pleased to be joined by a good friend of mine, Angeli, who's currently a master's student at UCL. So today's conversation is all about highlighting, you know, highlighting conversations within education and how diversity exists within the education space and hearing from an amazing student who's studying their master's, who's gone through different parts of their journey throughout the education system in order for us to bring to life what that looks like and, you know, hear it from someone who's who's done it and who's still going through it and given us an idea of what's happening in the education space <coughs> around diversity, equity and inclusion. So welcome, Anjali. Thank you for joining us. Hi, Velka. Thank you for having me. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> well, we won't be too harsh on you today. But um, before we even get into our conversation, how would you like to identify or describe yourself to our audience today? Yeah, so identify with the pronoun she and her. Um, and my name is Anjali. Um, but you can also call me Ange. Um, <laughs> there's a long story short about that um often people find it easier to say and mm -hmm. um so it's there just for the options um and you know whatever you prefer um and I obviously don't mind both but um those mm -hmm. are my pronouns and that's my name thank you and can you give us a bit of a flavor about what you're studying and why you have decided to study this particular subject sure so um I'm a speech and language therapy student um, and I'm a master's student at UCL. Um, so speech and language therapy, I mean, I don't know if anyone's really heard of what speech and language therapy is unless you probably might have children or you work within the healthcare profession or you've experienced it yourself or you know someone that's going through it or you know um, a close family friend or someone you know quite close to you. Um, or even through, you know, the introduction through somebody else saying, oh, um, this yeah. person has speech and language therapy that I know about. And often the questions arise are, oh, what speech and language therapy? Um, are you yeah. going to teach me how to speak? <laughs> <laughs> That's a question that really um, gets to me because speech yeah. and language therapy isn't always about teaching someone how to speak. Yeah. What it is is all about speech, language and your communication. Yeah. And they're three different domains. And... What people don't know is that speech language therapists also focus on eating, drinking and swallowing disorders. Um, that's also within the younger population, um, ranging from babies, from birth, right up until adulthood, um, you know, as long as you live, really, um, <laughs> and where you need the therapy input. So yeah. um, essentially, that's what a speech and language therapist is. Um why speech and language therapy? So I did an undergraduate in psychology. Mm -hmm. um, why psychology? I don't know, but um, that's where my <laughs> that's where my path led me after sixth form. Um, and I think it was just coming across different research papers, mm -hmm. um, and I think really just talking to different people at the university, different scopes and routes. And I always knew that I wanted to do a master's in something, and um, yeah increase my education and <clears throat> um, scope in education mm -hmm. and I came across speech and language therapy um, through speaking to my personal tutor um, 
uh, in my final year. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, and I just did a bit more research and I currently know um, a couple of family and friends that also mm. have had speech and language therapy. Um, you know, you just get talking to people. Yeah. And then you start doing the Google search and then you think, <laughs> oh, this is interesting. Um, yeah. I quite like to do this. And then you think, oh, I don't know any speech and language therapists. And it kind of makes you unique in a way because no one mm. in my family is a speech and language therapist. Um, none of my friends outside of uh, the university calls a speech and language therapist. So mm. it creates a nice little um, opening for discussion as well, um, yeah. which I think is a great, um, yeah, I think it's a great opportunity to, if you can study it, I would always promote it, <laughs> a bit biased. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, I worked in a mainstream school uh, mm-hmm. after I graduated um, from my undergrad. Yeah. And I worked with a range of different individuals um, with speech and language difficulties. Um, I worked in a resource-based unit in a mainstream school. Okay. So there's a lot of children that have ASD, um, ADHD, learning Mm -hmm. disabilities. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them, a lot of those do co-occur with speech and language disorders alongside. Mm -hmm. Um, And really that's where my interest really stem to thinking you know I'm going to apply for the course yeah um and really get into that um it's an NHS course so it's very competitive um competitive being why (laughs) a lot of the NHS courses are funded um through student loan and the NHS themselves uh which is why it's also very hard to get in and you and obviously these courses are looking for the best of the best, um, yeah. plus lots of experience. <laughs> um, so, yeah, the journey to getting onto the course and being in UCL um, takes a lot of hard work, perseverance mm-hmm. to gain that experience, to really understand why you want to do it, because it becomes really obvious once you're in the course. Yeah. Um, who really wants to be here? Why do you want to be here? And mm-hmm you know who's who's the one that's really motivated to be on the Mm. course to really complete it for the right (laughs) reasons yeah (laughs) um yeah so that's how my journey started out and I'm a year into the course um it's a two years course um so I've had a year of experience of um studying as a speech and language therapy student so that's a bit of my background and what we do um and what we really are um yeah. we are ultimately therapists and we do get a nice little professional role at the end of it that's amazing and I think you know <laughs> a lot of people I for sure didn't think that that was a career path until you went down that route um and there is a lot of people that I'm sure who who is curious about and you know navigating that space and wanting to you know, do something a little bit different, but also something that is, you know, that isn't quite talked about um, within within the NHS space as much as other kind of avenues to venture into. But I guess there are a couple of things that you touched upon. And one thing is, you know, it is a form of disability um, with speech language therapists. And I think sometimes when you look at disability as a whole, we only focus on, you know, the very physical abilities, some of the invisible, such as mental health, 
but not many people really talk about um, speech language therapy or you know what that consists of or even that it's connected to conditions like ADHD so I think that's very eye-opening for some people to understand and you know be familiar with but also you know as a student it is a very competitive space and I find that a little bit contradictory because the NHS is, is calling for more and more staff um, across the board but it's interesting to know that you know, there is the opportunity there for people and there is a lot of hard work that has to go behind it. Um, so with that being said, tell us a little, and I would love to get more into speech and language therapists in a second, but before we get into that, tell us a little bit about your journey as a student studying an NHS course. Has it been eye-opening? Has it been something new? Um, how How have you felt as a, you know, as someone from a different community going into you know that a white predominant space shall we say tell us a little bit about your journey um doing this course so um I must say that um it took me three times to apply before getting into the course um so that obviously says a lot about um the selection process mm. and what what universities nowadays really are looking for yeah. Um, I mean, for me, the driving force uh, behind these applications was always experience. But you question what else goes on in the backgrounds of um, <laughs> the application process, because, you know, when you do the process, uh, they're asking you to declare a lot of things, such as your ethnic uh, background, um, parental educational history. And um, but it's quite unknown um, how people actually get onto the course it will be quite interesting maybe mm. to see further on in the future what what happens in the background um mm. to actually get onto a course uh, specifically an NHS course um <clears throat> I can say at the moment I'm probably one of a couple of students with an ethnic minority background so I'm a British Indian on the course um there's only a couple of us on the course that are of ethnic background um mm. But that also could be just down to people not knowing about yeah. um, the course or, you know. Um, but I'm assuming we do, people do get a, uh, a lot of applications in for the university. Yeah. So it's interesting how the selection is done. Mm-hmm. Um, as a student speech and language therapist, has been, there's been many great opportunities. So I've been able yeah. to work in a special needs school, um, at Great Ormond Street Hospital, at the National Hospital of Neurology. Um, so all these experiences all together um, were all NHS experiences um, working as a speech and language therapist and working within the teams that I've seen. Um, very interesting. I've still been one of the minority ethnic backgrounds on the team. Um mm-hmm which I think is quite shocking as well, but also not at the same time, because mm. I think, you know, it's quite expected that when you are of an ethnic minority background, you go in and you think, oh, I wonder who else yeah. is on the team that maybe I could relate to, or, mm. um, you know, obviously being professional, you work holistically with everyone. Yeah. But I think always in the back of your mind, you always think, oh, I wonder who's in that work team, if it's diverse. Um, is it a 50-50 split between males and females Mm. and what I've seen quite often um, 
within the course is majority females uh, speech and language therapists. Oh. Um, I've not come across one male speech and language therapist on my experiences and opportunities um, outside of my course, which mm. is um, also quite shocking. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's quite like if you compare it to teachers, you see a lot of uh, female primary school teachers. Mm. But I think as the years are going on, you start to see a bit of a merge between the two. But I think there's a long way to go with um, with that, and especially mm. within a lot of um, career paths. Yeah. With that being said, shall we now start to wonder what kind of promotion of the courses out there to gain more diverse audience, both from a female and um, male background, but also from all ethnic um, and all communities. Would you say that's something that they need to do more of? Because certainly from my perspective, I've never heard of speech language therapists. Um, and I didn't even know that that was a field that I could perhaps go into. So do you think it's the exposure or is it because the department is quite small itself or is it new? Um, it, that is quite interesting. You brought up quite a lot of interesting um, discussion points. I think for me, the main concerns are the lack of diversity within the workforce. So yeah, within the recruitment, um, within the recruitment process specifically. Um, but also, it's always down to skill, um, how skilled you are, how qualified you are, and we really need a push and a um, force to bring out these skills. Um, which requires a lot of effort. So that being said, the speech and language therapy teams usually are quite small within the hospitals, mm. within schools. And I think it is really down to like the recruitment mm. and, you know, where, where do you, where do you go from there? Um, the course itself only in, well, this course specifically only has 60 people other universities only employ 10 people into the course so it's a real difference it's because it's very very specialized um mm. the further and further you train as well it's it's also where the lack of diversity probably comes in to the workforce mm. where opportunities may not be created uh, people are happy where they are um, um i mean there's always um development or training on this course um, yeah. many specialisms um so i think really i don't know if there's a panel that within the team that can push more diversity and inclusion mm. into this area um i mean speaking from a personal experience um for example you i've seen someone um along my journey and um some of the things and the items that we use for therapy are not always culturally appropriate. But having mm. said that, if I wasn't there, would that have been recognised maybe? Would it have been brought mm. up for discussion? Um, <clears throat> that's in terms of like play therapy, maybe mm. like the animals you use or the way you introduce things um, yeah. could be culturally different to how someone else might introduce something or mm. how you might interact with certain types of... Um, yeah things um and onto like the eating drinking swallowing aspects yeah um people eat with their hands in certain cultures and maybe you know that's not always recognized you speech and therapist might go in like with a spoon and 
you know that might not be the first thing how first thought of how um mm. that family might teach their children how to eat you know i mean with us particularly um well with me like we use our hands to eat some food and you know uh, we use spoons as well but generally yeah. we use our hands to eat and it's quite common across a lot of cultures but within a therapy setting was that considered maybe not if i wasn't there or well, maybe it would have been spoken about yeah. but a lot of that comes from um integration of family history case history case taking and that has to be done very thoroughly in order to get a good perspective of the client and yeah. using that information that can be implemented um holistically with yeah. the aspects of inclusion diversity um but you know from that personal experience um if i wasn't there i don't know if that that would have been brought up um but i think it always it is always good it creates good opportunities for discussion um, yeah. um conscious bias unconscious bias um which i think is really big at the moment in a lot of work workforce places yeah. especially within the nhs itself yeah. um, the level of care and treatment as well that can also be done through unconscious bias and it's quite sad but mm. you know i think having a more diverse inclusion within this field would mm -hmm. create so many more eye-opening opportunities for training especially yeah. um i mean for me personally diversity and inclusion yeah everyone should be included all aspects cultures um there's a whole list that i can't think of right now but you know yeah. just so much it includes everyone uh, mm -hmm. and everyone's differences and i think that's a really important driving force for inclusion and diversity really because yeah i don't know about you Avalka, but a lot of companies are tip boxing and what about the other topics and all the other themes that could be discussed um, and the intersectionality as well that comes with it exactly. you know someone can be someone could have a disability or speech um disorder but still be you know part of that community or they could still be from a black community so i think it's also the intersectionality of that that should mm -hmm. be recognized yeah and i think a lot a lot of individuals don't really speak about their speech and language disorders or um, delayed because it creates a sort of stereotypical um, question of oh so you can't speak or oh you can't do this but there's more there's more to it there's there's a lot more to it and I think you know training for speech and language um, therapy and disorders and what they are within different workforces can also promote um, or inclusion um, which is something I'm probably hoping to do at some point in the future, you know, um, training schools, training work, workforce places, especially in the corporate business world. Um, you know, it's great we've got all these things, but has your company considered this? And I think that's a nice stepping stone into opening opportunities for those of individuals to become more comfortable in making applications. Um yeah. But yeah, that being said, um, a lot of our therapy is now also tailored to the client. So because of the pandemic, a lot of our yeah. therapy sessions <clears throat> are done online. Okay. Um, so that's a nice little way of inclusion as well, because, you know, some people who may have a physical um, disability may not always be able to come into a clinic or come yeah. into sessions weekly or, 
you know, and having the option to do therapy online is great, but also what else could be done? Um, There's a lot more and, you know, uh, who would have thought Zoom would have been the best way to communicate with individuals? (laughs) (laughs) Um, But hey-ho, we're here. Um, (laughs) But, you know, there's, I'm sure there's more leading platforms that are on their way um, into making inclusion diversity great for individuals with speech and language disorders. Um, yeah, I think there's loads of discussion points. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and to be honest, you hit quite quite a few of them. And one that resonates with me um, is when you when you discuss how you know that organizations should have more consideration towards a topic because you know we talk about disability especially in you know the corporate world there's a lot of talk about you know having more accessible resources you know being disability confident um there is you know accreditations for organizations to become disability confident and leaders but i personally haven't went down that field or saw anything that gave exposure shall I say to speech language therapy um, and you know the different conditions or disorders if you can say um, that contribute to to that so I think that's really important for us to be very aware of what that would look like and how accessible we should be able we should be making you know recruitment um, our day-to-day roles in our organizations and things like that and I think yeah. another thing that you touched upon that also resonates with me is the fact that you know it's not just one bit or one community we're serving seven all communities the intersectionality of it um, and all of that contributes to care and how we provide for as you say your clients when you're working with them um, you know, being very aware of the cultural dimensions or um, kind of, you know, the cultural dimensions and the social dimensions that they're within and how you communicate with them on that level. So when you touched upon the fact that certain tools or methods haven't been, I guess, acknowledged for certain groups of people, I think that's quite eye-opening because in my head, if we have a more diverse workforce, we'll be able to, you know, cater and treat people in the right way and in a way that is culturally and socially appropriate for their understanding to help them with their development. But as a result of that, shall I say, how, from from even witnessing and experiencing that instance, does that have a real impact on the client? Uh, do you know what, Abelka, those points you brought up are great because um, at the moment I'm working with a couple of individuals that have had a stroke and as a result uh, they've developed a condition called aphasia. Um, so aphasia is long-term and life-changing condition which is used to describe a language disorder um, as a result to a damage in the brain that is important for some of the language areas. So our brain is formulated with different areas and each area um, is responsible for your expressive language um, and areas of the brain are responsible for your comprehension so how you would understand language Um, but yeah as a result they've um, now got a language 
disorder because of their stroke. And we work together collaboratively to set goals um, on what's important to them. And the most common theme that's developed from this stroke group is employment and coming back into work. Mm. Um, So a lot of the members in the group are, you know, quite young, I would say, for their age, um, because of confidentiality, I won't mention age. Um, But from my perspective, you know, um, yeah, and the common theme is the first thing they would say, I want to get back into work. I want to be able to use Excel. I want to be able to do this. Um, I want people to be able to understand me. And mm. I want to be able to communicate. I want to be able to lead. I want to be able to do all those things that they did um, mm. before their stroke. And ultimately, they're finding it really difficult to go back into roles that did require a lot of language. And they're being offered alternative roles, which is not not something they're interested in. And I would think, why should they be offered an alternative role? What can be done to make adjustments within the workforce where they can do something to help the stepping stones of maybe um, doing something for for that particular job? So some of them are more than capable of implementing data into an Excel spreadsheet. That would, that would help the workforce. Um, but, you know why is that not done why is why are these jobs not considered for people mm. um for adults that have an acquired disorder so it it you know that's where inclusion diversity can really be implemented um yeah. why should they be offered just i don't know working in a supermarket i mean great i work yeah. in a supermarket on the weekends as my part-time job but for people who who were for example maybe in the tech industry why yeah. should they be offered something to do in the supermarket where they're just filling shelves and you know that doesn't really fulfill their goals um yeah. where's the middle ground between the two on the spectrum yeah um yeah and it's a shame um yeah. that i don't know any workplaces at the moment that have jobs for people that have had a stroke and you know as a result have speech and language um because of it um and I think, you know, and, I, and I've spoken to people with physical um, and visual impairments um, before, and one of their biggest things is having to declare that on the recruitment form. You know, a lot of people and, you know, even people from different underrepresented groups, they fear filling out certain details because they're under the impression that that's going to have a huge impact Um on the applications and don't get me wrong in some cases that can be that that may be the case in other cases that may not be you know depending on the organization structure and systems are in place to to make sure that data isn't visible mm-hmm. but i think you know from speaking to some people with um with a disability they they don't want to say that you know and they fear even asking for reasonable adjustments because exactly. it might seem like an additional ask or task for the business to 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 kind of accomplish yeah I mean it's great that workplaces have adjustments and reasonable adjustments but Mm -hmm. I think workplaces at the moment need to make more of a difference in making jobs available for people that are more than capable of doing Mm -hmm. um, just providing their given time um, their understanding about the conditions 
mm-hmm. uh, and not just the recruitment individuals, but um, the workforce team itself. So the yeah. people that we're working closely with. Um, mm. I think a lot can be done, and you know, I'm really hoping. I don't know, maybe in the future, um, <laughs> that is something that we can implement. Um, yeah, as speech and language therapy individuals, therapists, future mm-hmm. therapists. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it is really all about advocacy as well. You know, yeah. speaking up for those individuals. Mm-hmm. Um, there's loads of great um, charities out there. But, you know that are advocating for these individuals but um yeah. i think more can be done with that and that mainly does come from you know your, the role as a speech and language therapist okay. um, advocacy for me is like top priority um, <laughs> you know um yeah and um just going back as well because we if i guess if we then decide to put these measures in place um and allow these individuals the opportunity to succeed what what would that mean for that individual from your conversations with them it would honestly mean the world <laughs> to put it in short form i mean it's the fact that someone's able to you know give them that boost that you know yeah. you can do this and why should you be limited why should they be limited of opportunities and I think that's the biggest one opportunity it's the fact that people see them as people and not just someone mm. with a speech and language disorder or someone that's had a stroke yeah. or oh someone who's oh they've got aphasia or you know it's mm-hmm. I'm an individual I'm human I have mm-hmm. as just not as much right to be here as everybody else yeah and yeah like I said for me um priority is diversity within the workforce and that's across all domains um and it's a big must at the moment and i think a lot of companies um are trying to incorporate that um but i think a lot more needs to be done um Mm. but obviously that's where companies like you can come in and really work on that as well yeah no certainly and i think you know for us at cohesia connect is it's about bringing that authentic authenticity to you know to these people and really hearing their stories and you know getting then getting an, a deep dive into what life is like for them and how can we put measures in place to support them on their journeys and to educate other people about their journeys you know mm-hmm. that's what these these um interviews are for for us to spotlight on you know people that who, who haven't had the voice to come forward or who haven't experienced, you know, you know, certain things. And we, we want to be able to bring these conversations to the forefront, to educate, to inspire, to motivate um, all those who really want to advocate, like you say, uh, mm-hmm. and bring these, bring these conversations to life and make a change, a sustainable change. So that's what, that's what we hope. Um, that's our hope for Cohesion Connect. That's our hope for, um, you know, the world today um, to really change for the better and 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 give everyone the opportunity that they deserve. Last week we had a, a gentleman who talked about you know equal opportunity, specifically from those entering um, the engineering space. So 
you know, it's all about giving everyone equal opportunity, but also having equity in place. So such as those reasonable adjustments to level the playing field for those that, you know, can't compete with other um, other situations. But my final question to you um, is, what would you like to see happen or change within the NHS industry? Um, but on the other side of that, even in your course, how would you, what do you think, or what would you like to see happen within the course that you're studying? That's a really good question. Um, obviously, I don't know what goes on behind the recruitment process. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but, you know, I think a lot more needs to be taken into consideration of um, backgrounds, um, that can help the inclusion and diversity within the course because ultimately the more people that do the course that are from mm. um you know that tick box the inclusion diversity yeah um parts of the application form um, yeah the characteristics um the more and more they recruit onto the course the more and more therapists they'll end up having which would create a knock on effect with the diversity within the population of speech and language therapists mm -hmm. it may just be that I haven't come across a lot of individuals you know but I've been on quite a few placements and experiences and lots of jobs but you know I think maybe it's just the early starting stages of my career mm -hmm. and I haven't really gone into you know the bigger world out there yet but um, mm -hmm. from what I've seen um, that would obviously be I think where the change should start um you know um really from the process of employing people onto the course ultimately having a knock-on effect on how many therapists are out there and mm. um, changes within the nhs specifically i don't think i can comment about because i haven't had that much nhs experience but um i think ultimately the impact would start once more and more therapists are qualified and um you know, I think a lot of lot more training can be implemented within a lot of workforces. Um, also saying that, I think it's also important uh, to train, not to train, but to educate maybe students as well in schools. Because mm. um, a, lo a lot of the um, differences and people start feeling like the odd one out stems from schools really as well, especially mm. in secondary schools. Um you know, that's where, you know, you want to create your identity, yeah. uh, educating others on, you know, these different aspects of yes. um, diversity and what they can include. Mm. Um, and also training a lot more individuals overall um, mm. And making more regular training sessions, making them holistic, talking about different topics, themes um, across all domains. Um, but given taking time, I don't know how feasible that is for companies. But, you know, I think a lot more could be done in that. Yeah. And, and we will get there, I hope, at some point. <laughs> um, but essentially the point and you've made a valid point, in order to see that domino effect in the NHS and, you know, having a wide range um, and a, a wide, diverse um, 
workforce within speech language therapy will be able to serve the communities that need it the most and who who do have these disorders or who develop them later on due to certain certain um, situations. So I think there is that domino effect later on, but it all starts from, you know, having more exposure at the start. You know, how do we get more students studying the topic? How do we educate more people? You know, where do we advertise our roles perhaps? Are we just getting the same type of people and therefore regenerating the same type of skills that potentially won't move? Um, How's the recruitment process set up? Is it even inclusive? You know, really looking at that front end in order to have that domino effect later on and be be a force for change and be a support for those individuals that need mm-hmm. the care um, that, that, they, that they require. So thank you, Ange, for no the informative <laughs> discussion. And I'm sure there are people in our audience who are thinking I've never heard of speech language therapy before but I'm definitely going to look into it now um, <laughs> well, I hope so. <laughs> so hopefully you know someone has been inspired by your conversation and you know ha- at least had an insight into your journey as a student and what's that like but also you know into the pathway of speech language therapy and how that could serve you know, all, all of the communities that we want to, not that we want, but all the communities that um, that are needed out there. So thank you so much for yeah. the question. No I mean, it does really hit a diverse population. So <laughs> <laughs> there we go. So, you know, I think a lot of this conversation and, you know, how it is geared is to support more diverse populations who who therefore develops these conditions or, you know, were born with these conditions. So we need to have a very holistic, diverse, inclusive way of reaching those people, of engaging with those communities and therefore giving them the best support that is needed. So thank you so much. And thank you, Evelka, for having me. (laughs) Take care. Take care. See you later. Bye.